0: When Kevin and I got married, we bought our first kitchen table. It was just the two of us, and we would share meals and life lessons together. Eventually, we had three kids, and each one of them pulled up a chair to the table. And we shared those life lessons with them, the things that would make or break them. But that wasn't the end. No, it wasn't. We had number four, Jaden, and he pulled up a chair to the table. And we, once again, shared our life lessons with him. And that's really what this series is about, finding the great core teachings, four core teachings that God has given to us as a church. And we're really excited to bring today the home run life, of course, God's plan for life and leadership. And I remember when we delivered that teaching and Lewis and Ronnie Ramos showed up. Wow, God used this to literally change their lives. In fact, you're gonna hear a little bit of his testimony in today's teaching. So grab your Bibles, your teaching notes. This comes from 2014. So welcome to Home Run Life, week one. And I am so excited to share in this series with you. So let's dive in, let's play ball. Grab your bulletins and on the back you find your teaching notes with four questions that can transform your life. And the first one, what makes for a home run life? What makes for a home run life? In in, in other words, everybody, all of us, we we all wanna, kind of live out a home-run life. But what are the elements that make for a great life? I'm glad you've asked. Let's talk about it. I think the first element, kind of obvious to all of us, is success. I think we all, when we dream of having a home-run life, we imagine that someday we will have success. Say it with me. We'll have what? What? We, we, we imagine we're going to have success. Oh, oh, when we're young, we, we imagine that, that our job and, 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 and our, our, our career and our business and our finance, sports, whatever endeavor we pursue, that we're going to rise up and kind of be a, a, a Super Bowl kind of player. That, that we're going to hit a home run and get those kinds of results. In fact, that's why one of my favorite commercials is from Super Bowl 33. The Monster.com commercial? Oh my goodness, it just, well here, let me just play it for you and you'll understand. Check it out. When I grow up, I want to file
1: all day. I want to climb my way up to middle management. Be replaced on a whim. I want to be a yes man. Yes woman. Yes sir, coming sir. Anything for a raise, sir. When I grow up, when I grow up, I want to be underappreciated. Be paid less for doing the same job. I want to be forced into early retirement.
0: That is so good. That's just backhanded sarcasm, right? I mean, nobody aspires to rise up to small things. (laughs) Nobody dreams someday, I hope I strike out. (laughs) That's nobody's goal. We want success. But, But listen, once you get it, success is too small to be the whole of your life dream. You may have never thought about it before, but when you dreamed of a, of a great life, it was always more than success. You imagined someone. You imagined what? Someone. Here's what I mean. You always imagined that there would be others in this great life. There would be the someones, whether it's the co-workers, the teammates, or, or close friends. Maybe you always dreamed that you would find that soulmate and, and, and married for life. You imagine having kids and the beauty of, of those connections. Family. Oh, see, when you dreamed of the life you longed for, when you had a big dream, it included someones. Because life without someone is quite hollow. Let, let me illustrate with a with a golf joke. Any golfers here in any of the campuses, any golfers, okay, you'll get this. This pastor loved to golf, but he'd grown up with the tradition, you can't golf on Sunday. Oh, that would be a sin for him. But he's a pastor now, so, so, so he doesn't golf on Sunday, he preaches on Sunday. However, it's driving him nuts because it's sunny every Sunday and raining every day off for him. He's getting ticked. God's not answering his prayers. Finally, he says, God, I can't take it anymore. And he does the wrong thing. He calls up, and says, "I'm not showing up Sunday." Calls the assistant pastor, "You're gonna to have to preach." I- I'm not, I'm, I'm not right, and clearly he wasn't. Jumped in the car and drove two, three counties away, so nobody knew him. Got on the golf course. It was sunny, beautiful. He said, "I know it's gonna be miserable, but I'm playing anyway, God. I don't care what you do to me." And he hits the ball 275 yards down the middle. It's absolutely beautiful. Powered the hole. I mean, he was playing out of his mind all day. He's just jumping for you. He gets to the last hole. You can't believe this. He kills it and gets a hole in one. Who? He picks up that ball. He says, God, I can't believe what you're doing for me. Hole in one. I thought you would make my day miserable. And God said, I did. He said, how? Oh. He said, who are you going to tell? <laughs> See, that's miserable. See, see, success, all alone, is empty, it's hollow. Success without someone is diminished joy. We all long and imagine that in this dream life, we would be with those we love and those who love us, yeah? But that's not all you had in your life. Not just success, not just someone. You may have never thought about it, but you always imagined that you would have self-respect. Say it with me. That you would have what? See, you imagine when you dreamed of your life and your success and your someone's that you'd be able to look in the mirror and respect the person you see. Without having to d- drop your eyes in disgrace. So you imagine that you would be self-led rather than owned by your appetites, your desires, or addiction, that you'd be a person of integrity. After all, everywhere you go, there you are. If you can't get along with you and respect you, it's a pretty miserable life. You may have never thought about it before. But you imagined your life would not only have success in someone in self-respect, but you imagined it would have significance. That is to say that you imagined that your life would make a difference. That it would, more than empty success, that it would, it would count for things that matter. That more than a, making a dollar, you wanna make a difference. Now that right there, that is a, an awesome life dream. Those elements, success, someone's self-respect, significance, that's a home run life. And yet so few ever live that life. So if you ever get all four, we might get one or two, but we crash on the rest. And that was an honest moment for Luis Ramos, who sat right where you're seated over a decade ago in a service where I started to test out this home run life teaching. Here's a slice of his story.
1: My name is Lewis Ramos and I'm uh, 44 years old. I've been married to my high school sweetheart for almost 25 years. You know I find myself uh, in one place in, in business and, and family and relationships uh, that you know thank God today is, is you know, really great and, and, and very fulfilling. Um, it wasn't always that way, however. I had made my life about having more, getting more, making more, and achieving more. Everything else was falling apart around me. Uh, my marriage was falling apart. I barely knew my children. I told myself that it was for everybody else, so I said, oh, I'm doing this for my family. I'm gonna you know, make sure that I set us up for a great life. That's nonsense. It's not true. I really loved the feeling that I got from success, and it was addictive. I just needed a clean break and to start all over. I told my wife that I had made a mistake and that we were uh, really not meant to be together. On a Sunday in early October, uh, my wife was going to church with the kids and and I decided to join them uh, really to keep up appearances. It just so happened that it was the first day of a you know multi-week series on The Home Run Life. I sat there and I was intrigued by the production, but what really caught me was Kevin starting to tell the the Home Run Life story, the parable. So Lewis
0: Lewis was, was only getting pieces of the dream. And that's true for most of us. And maybe, maybe that's because nobody ever really taught us how God grows us up. and that brings us to the second question of four questions that can transform your life what can we learn from joseph's journey in genesis chapter 37 through chapter 50 we find the old testament story of joseph oh it's a great story and for our limited time let me just highlight from joseph's life his breakthroughs now joseph was 17 years old and joseph had a dream it was really a dream for his future, a vision from God. And Joseph was uniquely positioned. He was a son of Jacob, grandson of Isaac, great-grandson of Abraham. So he was in the line of God's promises. His father Jacob was very influential, highly affluent. And Joseph was a favored son. He had what was, the Bible calls a coat of many colors, which means he's important. (laughs) Elevated even above his brothers. He had many older brothers. In fact, all of them together combined eventually became the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. Their father Jacob, his name was eventually changed to Israel, that's where Israel got their name. Very important family. So when Joseph had his dream, He already had brothers who were very jealous of his self-importance. He was already dad's favorite. And now he comes to his brothers a bit bragging. It says, apparently, look, I'm not only dad's favorite on earth, I'm obviously God's favorite. I had a dream from God. I'm standing and all of you are bowing. I know. Well, can I say, I'm special. Now, by the way, when you have a dream where you're staying and everybody else is bowing, it is an awesome dream for you, right? But nobody else cares, okay? They're not excited to be bowing to your dream. So instead of his brother celebrating, they turn on him. Now listen, Joseph had every reason to believe since this was from God, since he had a dream for a dream life, that this would be fulfilled and he'd immediately go to success. After all, many of us quote Jesus in John 10.10 when Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. And we say, as soon as I come into a relationship with God through Jesus, my life is going to be easy and awesome. I'm going to have success. Like the next thing is success. What was the next thing for, for Joseph? He got thrown into a pit. Into a what? A pit. He's expecting success. He gets thrown into his pit. The brothers are so ticked with him that they take off his coat of many colors, tear it up like an animal tore it up. They kill a ram, throw, a ram, throw the blood on it, take it to their dad and say, hey, this looks like Joseph's. I think he got killed by an animal. Now that was pre-DNA days, right? That would have been obvious today, but not back then. So dad concludes that Joseph is dead and you know what they do with him? They sell him into slavery and he's taken to Egypt, never to be seen again. For they concluded what will now come of his dream. And if you're Joseph and you're on the way to Egypt and you've been thrown in a pit and you're now enslaved, you got to be asking yourself, what on earth is God doing? Have you ever wondered what on earth is God doing? I mean, we were following God and he lets you get thrown in pits and you're like, whoa, hello. I got promises from you. This does not feel like your promises. I was 30 years old. And it was, um, it was without a doubt, one of the most uh, undoing years of my life when I had to go to my wife and ask her to go back to work we'd made promises earlier in marriage and we'd been married for nine years. In the first few years, I had some measure of success, but in planting 12 stone from 26 to 30, we just lost. And so we lost our house money and our cars and our little IRA and our savings and everything we had and lost our health insurance, I lost everything. I'm doing odd jobs, we're just, we're going bankrupt. And that day I had to look her in the eye and say, honey, I know we're home with the young kids, but..." you got to go back to work. We're bankrupt. And I remember thinking, God, we're trying to honor you in life, and you throw us in a pit. What are you doing? And I didn't have an answer then, but I can toss one out now. (laughs) What if God was trying to help me win dependence? In fact, what if that's what God is doing with you? And you got to know how God grows you up. What if, what if, that's what God was doing with Joseph? Helping Joseph win dependence. Say it with me. Win what? Win dependence. In other words, he stripped Joseph of everything Joseph would have used in order to make that dream happen. Because God was helping Joseph move from being self-reliant to God-reliant. See, most of us know how you grow up humanly, we just don't know how you grow up spiritually. Nobody's ever told us. So let me tell you, here's how you grow up humanly. You move from dependence to independence, right? How many of you have kids under five years of age? How many have kids under five years of age? Hands up here across all the campuses, okay. Now, you know they're adorable. God makes them adorable. And through their elementary years, they're adorable, so adorable you cannot imagine them ever leaving. then God makes them teenagers so that you cannot imagine them ever staying. That's a gift because you have them born highly dependent but you want to move them to independence. That's how you grow up humanly. The reason many of us never really grow up spiritually because we don't understand, it's the opposite. See, when you're born, you're born in sin far from God. Separate. You are independent. You start here. And when you understand the truth and come to a relationship with God, you start moving from independence to what? Dependence. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branch. In John 15, if a man or woman will remain, depend, will remain in me, you will bear much fruit. You're gonna have really home run kind of life, but apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing that really lasts. Oh, this is a deep and wide conversation. What if God was growing Joseph up to help him first win dependence? Second breakthrough in Joseph's life. Win within. Win where? win within. Joseph was tempted. It was a major temptation. Now, here's the storyline. Joseph had moved into Egypt. He was enslaved. He was bought by Potiphar. Now he's an owned slave. He'd been in his household for five to seven years. He was 22 to 25 years old. He'd risen up as a slave. Oh, how exciting is that? And he was over the household of Potiphar. And then in a moment of time, Potiphar's wife made an indecent proposal. Now it was incredibly tempting. He's 22 to 25 years old. He has no prospects of a future. And she makes a sexual offer. But he says to himself, i got to decide who I'm going to be. We all do. See, he can't help that he's a slave on the outside, but he doesn't have to be a slave on the inside to his passions, appetites, or desires. Everybody gets tempted. Everybody's got to set their moral compass. So are you going to follow God's design? Or the world's. And Joseph makes the right decision. And he runs away. And he doesn't engage. And for doing the right thing, he gets thrown into prison. Isn't that awesome? That's a great story. If it's not yours, right? I mean, literally, Potiphar's wife indicts him for the thing he did not do. Say he tried to rape her. And Potiphar had him thrown in prison. Have you ever done the right thing? And instead of... When you lost, <laughs> ah, but remember, God is not done. There was a next major breakthrough. The breakthrough was to win with others. Say it with me, to win what? With others. Now, here we go. Joseph, and you gotta play out the story. He's now the servant, he's a slave. Go with me on this, okay, everybody? Go with me on this. He, he's the guy down here. He, he's, he's cleaning the floors. He's a nobody. And important people are walking by. Because Potiphar was very high up in the military of Egypt. And maybe that's when it occurs to Joseph. (sighs) I used to be important. I used to walk around my dad's place quite self-important. And there were people who were servants that I didn't even notice. I dismissed. There are few things as redefining in life when God puts you in the place of people you once dismissed. Maybe that's where Joseph learned to value others. To what? Value others. value others. Maybe that's where he realized you know what? My brothers did the wrong thing, but maybe I antagonized it by just being so full of my own self importance. Between the ages of 21 and 26, I was part of a church as an associate pastor. And for those five years, it was the fastest growing church in our county, major influence in our little denomination. And I started to feel self-important. I started to think subtly, you know, pastors who lead small churches, come on, put a little work in it, it'll grow. First year of 12 Stones opening, 104 people. Fourth year, 82. I'm just that good. (laughs) About the time God whispers in my ear, now let's talk about pastors who lead small churches again. (sighs) What I didn't know is that if you don't value others, you'll use them. And maybe what God is doing in your life right now, because you're in places you don't want to be, Maybe you're working in places you don't want to work with, people you don't want to work with. Maybe things are strained in marriage and otherwise. Maybe you're running around looking for a church that's going to be all about you. And what God's really trying to do is help you value others. That's how he grows you up. We know Joseph broke through. You know how we knew? Because Joseph, I gotta fast forward, Joseph was 39 years old, so it had been 22 years, 17 years old that his brother sold him into slavery. 22 years later, he's 39 years old. Rushing ahead, he's already second in command of all of Egypt. He's running everything. It's in the midst of a great famine, and his brothers come to Egypt looking for food, and guess who they have to ask food from? It's this good. <laughs> Joseph, but they don't know it's Joseph. So they bow down to Joseph. He's standing, they're bowing. And he's like, aha. (laughs) And all he has to do is say the word and they're executed. And what does he do? He executes mercy and forgiveness. And values people that did not value him. This is a changed man. The next major event kind of highlight is win results. Win what? Win results. Now, going back when he was 30 years old, he'd been in pits and prisons, 17 to 30, pits and prisons. That's all he'd experienced. And Pharaoh has a dream, a vision, it's from God, and of course God's doing something pretty cool here, and nobody can interpret the vision. And they discover that there's this kid in prison named Joseph who can interpret. So Joseph is brought up, this is a great day for Joseph, and Pharaoh says, can you interpret my dream? And do you know what he says? No. If I were standing near him, i go, yes, the answer is yes. When you've been in the prison and you've been in pits and you get a shot at a promotion, the answer is, yes, I can do this. What is wrong with you? All he can say is, throw him back in prison. How bad can that be? Maybe he'll kill you. That would be better. Ah, but you know what Joseph said? I cannot do that. But if God wants me to, he'll give it to me. See, he had already won dependence. He understood that dependence on God has everything to do with where he is in his career. This is deep and wide teaching. Hard learned, rarely learned. God gave him the interpretation. Pharaoh, there's gonna be seven years of feast and seven years of famine. And then, more than giving the problem, Joseph offers a solution. So Pharaoh should appoint a man to oversee the seven years of feast and put some back so that in the seven years of famine... Egypt survives. Pharaoh looks around and says, I don't see anybody smarter than you. It is you. And he puts him in charge of all of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh. I'm telling you, that's a really good day of promotion when you go from the prison to the palace. Huh? That's a, that's a good day. Only God can make that happen. And you would say, oh my goodness, how awesome. He now has won results. He's got success. This is the best part of the story. No, it's not. Best part of the story is when his success becomes significant. When Joseph finally realizes and says to his family, what you did was for evil, but God turned it for good, for the saving of many lives. And Joseph single-handedly rescued from famine, his father, all his brothers and family, and Israel survived, becoming a great nation through whom the Messiah, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, eventually came. Now how good is that story? And it begs the question, the third of four questions that will transform your life, what is the pattern? What is the what? What is the pattern? What is God's game plan for life and leadership? At the time, My firstborn son Joshua was 11 years old. And I was, um, I'll just confess, I I was undone by my inability to disciple him. I'm a pastor. And I didn't know how to disciple my own son. Now just keep listening. I've been to Bible college. I came to Christ when I was nine years old. I've been to Bible college. I, I, I've got a ministry degree from a, a liberal arts university. I've been to seminary stuff. I, I've been pastoring full time. I understand the Bible, I, I, but it's so complex in my brain. I don't even know how to transfer it to an 11 year old. I don't know how to tell him how God wants to grow him up. I don't know how to make it easy, simple, accessible, transferable, and meaningful. I don't know how to give it to him at 11 years old so that it will stay with him into his adult life and be meaningful forever. It was so complex in my head, I couldn't get it out of my heart into his. I'm like, how does anybody do this? I looked at all the material, it seemed lame. I'm like, I don't know how to do this. Just so you know. This home run life material was birthed out of the heart of a father to help his son win in life. What I'm giving you today is the adult version of it. But what I'm going to give Easter and the few weeks that follow is what I gave my son at 11 and all of my kids since. It is the parenting side. Raising home run kids. That's the series you really want. But we're in this one now. (laughs) And what broke through was this pattern. Baseball. Something simple enough that a kid can understand it and play it, but complex enough that it can move with you into your adult life and pro athletes in a billion-dollar industry can barely master it. It's that complex. And it all hinged on the word pattern. On the word what? So, here across all the campuses, grab your Bibles. Uh, For some of you, it's right underneath your seat. For others, it's in front of you. Uh, Maybe you picked it up on the way into the campus. Everybody grab a Bible. We're gonna turn over to the New Testament, the book of Romans. We're in Romans chapter 12. This was a keystone verse that God had been kind of sinking into my soul at the time of putting this together. And on page 1137, page 1137, 1137, on the right-hand side column, chapter 12 of the book of Romans. Everybody grab a Bible, get there, and let's look at this together. Therefore, which means in light of the first 11 chapters of great theology and insight, the foundations of what God did for us and bringing us to him through Jesus. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Great teaching. Verse 2. Do not, here, do not what? Conform. Do not conform to the, there's the word, what is it? Pattern. Everybody say it again across all the campuses. To the what? Don't conform to the pattern of this world. The world has a pattern. God has a pattern. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Change how you think. Let it be renewed. This will transform you. Then you will be able, look, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So there's a pattern. What if something as simple as baseball can be leveraged as a pattern to understand how God grows us up? Four bases. By the way, there are only four elements in everybody's life dream. It's the same for a believer, unbeliever, all trying to win the same things. And when you play baseball as a kid, there's four bases. And when you play in college, there are four. And when you play in the major leagues, there's four. It's not like there's six or seven in major leagues. Same bases. They just get more complex to get around. In fact, there are things that we know about baseball. You score only when you cross what? Home plate. Go with me on this. And when, and when you leave home plate and come back to home plate, you have to cover all three bases, which are first, second, and third. And if you skip a base, you're called what? And baseball is full of strikeouts but fresh starts. And what do they call it when you run to the wrong base? Little league. It's the only time it's funny. When a four year old hits the ball and runs to third base, it's hilarious, everybody laughs. If a major league player does that, it's not funny. It just shows he doesn't know what he's doing, he's thrown out. So, what if there really is a pattern a game plan to the way God grows us up. Put this down in your notes. What if it all begins at home plate? Home plate is all about connect. Say it with me, home plate is about what? Put that in your notes, it's about connect. And literally meaning this, connect with your creator, connect with God, get on God's purpose by God's power. God put you here on purpose, God will give you power to accomplish why he put you here. So connect with him and God's gonna grow you through dependence. Because just like baseball, everything starts and ends at home plate. And the batter knows when he gets to home plate, my purpose is to get around the bases. I need power at the plate to pull it off. And by the way, I know many of you listening across the campuses, many of you are spiritually unresolved. You're not even sure you believe in God. You're not sure you buy any of this. This is still your issue. You have to connect with how you got here, why you're here, and where you're going. Everybody does. And God in his love for you is inviting you to connect with him. He created you. He loves you. With great mercy, he opened a door for you to be restored to him through Jesus. Because when you connect with your creator, you connect to your purpose. You get his power life begins to make sense because life cannot start with you and it does not end with you. You're not the center. Home plate, connect. And it leads to first base. First base is character. Say it with me, first base is what? Character. It's, it's the personal base. It's where you win within. Now watch this. Many people, when they become new Christian followers of Jesus Christ, are all excited about, i have been to my sin. And it is awesome. I have the hope of eternal life. God's in me. I got a new life. Yes, you do. New creation, absolutely. And then we begin to pray, oh God, oh God, change everything around me. See, because now you're praying and you're like, I'm looking at what's wrong with my life, and, and most of the problems are around me. So, oh dear God, change things around me. If you would change my job, that would be awesome. And if you would change my income, I need more. And if you would change my boss, need less of them. And if you would change my spouse, oh, I had no idea the baggage when I married them. And would you change my kids? They got a lot of my spouse in them. I I didn't know. And God, would you change my house and change my stuff? And and we get all wrapped up in thinking that prayer is all about God demonstrating his power to change everything around us when the very first thing the power of God wants to do is change everything, where? Within us. Because God wants to restore the character that's crashing because it's costing you the home run life. Second base is community. Second base is what? Home plate, connect, first base, character, second base, community. Say it with me. Home plate, connect, first base, character, second base, community. Look at it like this. What is the first and greatest command? Jesus said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and to love, that's home plate, and to love your neighbor, second base, as yourself, first base. In other words, love God, Love yourself, love others. It's that simple, it's that profound. Third base is competence. Say it with me, third base is what? That is the performance base. It's where you win results. And this matters greatly, but do you score when you get to third base? Do they give you a run ad in baseball when you get to third base? No. No more than in life is success at the end all. You have to bring it home to your God-created significance. Connect it to your God-designed purpose. Now watch this. If this is the way that God designed for us to grow up and have a home-run life, and there is a pattern to it, and the order matters, then the question is, how does the world run the basis? Because if the world is the thing we should not conform to, what is the pattern of the world? The world runs the basis backwards. We live in a performance-driven culture that what matters most is what you do, what you achieve. It is all about career, money, and the like. We are under such pressure to perform in this world that we will tend to cheat, under pressure, all the other bases. We cheat our relationship with our marriage and our family and don't quite have the time to invest because we're all about performance and getting success. We cheat our character to get ahead. We don't have time for God. We cheat God in his time. We don't have time for worship on every seven days. Come on, I got a life to live. I got stuff to do. Time in Bible study and prayer. Are you kidding me? What's that connect with God kind of soft, ridiculous stuff? I don't need that in my life. And we cheat all the, and what if, just what if, what if? Running the bases backwards and cheating the other bases is the very thing that is costing us the home run life. That is what Louis Ramos discovered. Here's the rest of his
1: story. So he started talking about the trade-offs that we make. The fact that in a performance-driven culture, we are driven to run to third base, but that very often what that results in is sacrificing relationships on second base and integrity on first base. And it just hit me. It hit me like, like a ton of bricks. And I thought to myself, this is my life. I'm destroying my relationships with my wife and my children and it's costing me and it's costing my kids and this is going to have repercussions on the rest of our lives. I thought, you know, I've been looking for this reboot, I've been looking for this fresh start. The reality is, is that God is offering me a fresh start to do something with the life that he gave me, with the family that he gave me, with the wife that he gave me from my youth. And I'm a fool if I think that starting over somebody else is going to turn into anything better because the person breaking this is me. I rededicated my life to the Lord, and I talked to my wife, and I let her know, and she was very skeptical, to say the least. By God's mercy, she prayed hard about it, and what she heard from the Lord was, you don't have permission to get out. So, she took me back, PK remarried us, in the spring of 2001 with all of our children and, uh, and our closest friends. That running of the bases in a different pattern started a domino effect that didn't just transform my marriage and, and my children and, and our family. It transformed everything. It transformed my career. It transformed my business. You know, it transformed everything about me.
0: So be transformed. Yeah, it's a great story. So be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Change the way you see the world and the way you live. And we live in a backwards, base-running world. In fact, we've become convinced, if you think about it, we live in a world that does our whole life backwards. Think about it. We spend our 20s, 30s, maybe into our 40s chasing Success. So much so that it's like us to burn one, two, or three marriages and estrange some kids. But by the time we get into our 40s to 50s, it's fascinating how many enter into marriage they take seriously. And they start saying, you know what? People matter. They want to restore estranged relationships with their kids. Watch what goes on in our culture. 60s, 70s. You start hearing them talk about, you know what, who you are on the inside really matters. Character counts. They start trying to pour it into their grandkids. 60s, 70s, hit 80s into mortality. And people start talking about, maybe there is a God. And we live like backwards and forfeit the home run life God has. It was our own Atlanta-based Ted Turner, mogul of CNN, who this past November turned 75 years old and in a public interview revealed some interesting things. Ted, the outspoken agnostic, who had formerly described Christianity as a religion for losers, recently reaffirmed his openness to the faith. He no longer considers himself an atheist, And prays for sick families. And he closes. Well I sure don't want to go to hell. It's a great discovery to eventually come to God. It's a better life to start with God. And it begs the question. How do you run the basis? It's the fourth question that can transform your life. How do you run the basis? Or more importantly now. How will you? run the basis of life.